0: Welcome to The Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of The Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Mark Gagne on the line. Mark, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing this morning, Michael? I am awesome. Really looking forward to this conversation because this is a topic that is really important to me because I know a lot of people
1: struggle with this. So why don't you share a little bit about you and and the work you do? Sure. Uh, I'm in the, uh, what you classically call the insurance space uh, or an insurance broker. Everybody has a broker box in their head. So put me in there. And now now let me tell you why I'm not that. Um, I go to the farthest, tiniest, remotest corner of that box. And that's where I live with my team, Uh, my business partner, Jennifer Borslow, who founded the organization back in 1982. uh, She and I have grown the company together to be 75 strong uh, with a team of benefit superheroes that work with... That's what I call them. I know it sounds a little corny, but I can be corny from time to time. Um, Just love our team. They're fantastic. And What we do is we uh, partner with employers, uh, typically speaking, employers with 50 or more, but really over 100 employees. Uh, we help organizations, CFOs, and leaders of HR and CEOs uh, with their healthcare and their benefits programs. You know, things that you might expect, like health insurance, life insurance, dental, disability, 401k, those types of things. But my real passion is in healthcare. Um, I grew up uh, a son of two entrepreneurial clinicians. My mom was a nurse, my dad was a physical therapist, but they were entrepreneurial in nature and they created a physical therapy management company. I worked for them. When I came out of school, um, I left them and went to go work for a number of insurance carriers. And then I crossed over about almost 20 years ago uh, to the employer and consumer side of things. So when I say I'm not a broker, that's why I'm not really a broker, because I've lived in all three sides of the equation and really believe that um, 360 degree view gives me an opportunity to work with our team to help our clients with the second largest line item on their profit and loss statement. That grows four to five times faster than any other. It eats margin if you're a non-for-profit. And you know the old saying, no margin, no mission. And it eats EBITDA if you're for-profit. And less EBITDA means unhappy shareholders. It's such an expensive but
0: important component of business. And especially... We're hearing a lot today about the great resignation. A lot of people are leaving their jobs and doing other things. And your benefits package is, in my opinion, a lot of people may not agree with me on this, but I feel your benefits package that you offer an employee or potential employee is more important than their salary
1: because You're there's right. so
0: many components to it. The health insurance thing, everybody thinks, well, I'm fine. You know, I don't feel you know any problems i don't have any health scares and things like that well as we've seen you know during this pandemic you know there's many many people that have you know taken ill and maybe have missed some work so depending on how their benefits package was Written, um, they may or may not have had the type of coverage they need for them to feel comfortable to take time off of work and recover. And, you know, the, from dental appointments to all the other things that we sometimes complain about and grimace about, it's important because the healthy employee is a productive employee, which makes a productive organization, with me, which means the products and services that your company makes for your consumers is going to be better. So it's a crucial part of mental health and employee health to make sure that organizations can provide these types of packages that make sense for the
1: people that they recruit. Michael, um, are you looking for work?
0: (laughs) I'm I'm always open to different (laughs) opportunities in, in association with the work that I do.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And uh, the reason I I, I wasn't kidding, uh, you you do understand the value of, of benefits and look at it the right way. I mean, next to payroll, it's the second largest line item. And you're right. Study after study uh, shows that employees care more about their benefits package than they do their actual paycheck. I mean, if the paycheck's a close second, uh, but benefits are typically 30% of what somebody's being paid. So it's a, it's a big number, you know, $100,000 body isn't $100,000 body. It's $130,000 investment um, because of the benefits package. If it's designed correctly, it helps you retain the, the talent you have, but you're right. It helps you attract the talent that you want and it becomes the glue and really it becomes the glue in the sense that it's cultural, right? So what we do with our clients is really focus on, on helping them take already their special culture and their organization and, building on top of that. So you talked about, well, yeah, most people, I feel fine. Uh, The problem is when you you look at the data, um, depending on where somebody resides, so if I get a little geeky for a moment, um, if you look at people from a risk and cost perspective, you have four quadrants in a box. Lower left-hand box is low risk, low cost, right? Then above that is low risk, high cost. So think about car accident, right? You're low risk, then you get in an accident. Okay, now you're up in the upper left-hand box, but you're going to go right back down uh, to the lower left-hand box. Okay, now let's go over to the right-hand side. A high-risk, low-cost, and then a high-risk, high-cost. It's the people who feel fine in the low on the high-risk, low-cost that ultimately will materialize and go up to the high-risk, high-cost because they're not getting their cancer screenings. They're not getting their annual checkups with their primary care doctor. In fact, one of the trends that I'm really concerned about is that most people, so most groups we work with, less than half the people have a relationship with a primary care physician. Yet a primary care physician can really address 70 to 80% of the things that are wrong with you. And then, yeah, okay, well, you need specialists, well, you need places to go get lab and x-rays and you know, those types of things, sure. Um, but at the end of the day, that primary care doctor is really the, son, the person that takes care of you. Uh, in your family, if, if you go to the right primary care doctor, at least access one. Big concern I have right now is the millennial generation, those age 30 to 39. When you ask them if they have a, a primary care doctor, most of them say no. But even if they say yes, you ask them where, they say their urgent care facility. Now, that, that's not a primary care physician relationship. That's like saying you have a relationship with your garage for the car where you take to have your tune-ups done. Like, no, you have a relationship with a mechanic who works on your car in a garage. Um, but that's a really uh, worrisome thing for all of us because that means that people are only waiting for things to happen before they're doing something about their health care. And that that causes, like today's behavior causes tomorrow's claims, which then causes the future premium that you have to pay through your paycheck. And one of the things that's very alarming,
0: especially with the millennial generation, and I do a lot of talks on burnout and work with people. And I had my own burnout story and had my own health situation at age 40 um, that uh, resulted in all kinds of fun and adventures. But what I'm seeing is there are a lot more millennial aged individuals that are dealing with some very high stress and having cardiac events at a very early age. And that's concerning to me on, on multiple reasons. Number one, they have a heart attack, let's say at 39 or 40, they may be on medication for the rest of their life. So if lifespan, you know, roughly 80, 83, maybe that's 40 plus years, that's double their current life that they're going to be on medications, which we all know that medications will have some side effects, some good, some not so good. That's and so good. At long-term could be problematic. And and of course, you know, I used to work in primary care as a CEO and a director of primary care clinics. So I've seen that relationship between physicians and, and the nursing staff and everybody else and the patients, and you know, the ones that are good relationships, and you know, the ones that aren't progressing. And, and, and it's so important. And I agree with you. My deep concern is that, you know, the Gen Y generation and Gen Z as well, don't have a primary care physician to help navigate them through maintenance. And a lot of people have this mindset, well I only go to the doctor when I'm sick. Well, in my situation, especially after my own health situation, you know, back you know over a decade ago. I know my family physician really well. She's good. We you know, we have some discussions about some things and we've had differences of opinions on some approaches, but yeah, I trust her. Um uh, her input and, you know, follow her guidelines. And, you know, case in point last year, we were talking and you we know, just asking about a couple of things. And she, she asked me, okay, you know, based on my age, said, um, when was your last colonoscopy? And I kind of sheepishly went, that would be never doctor. And next thing you know, I'm in an appointment and I have the colonoscopy, which is a very pleasant experience, but it's very, very important because there's been a family history of some issues. Um, and again, that's one of those things that... I, and I encourage you, I mean, this is a little bit of a segue from what we're talking about, but it does tie in with some things. Everybody listening, if your parents are still alive, one, be thankful for that. Number two, get crystal clear on their health history and their parents' health history. And then as far back as you can go, because those are those are clues on things that you need to look out for, because no matter how healthy you live, there's certain things that pass through. So you're going to want to watch out for that. And if you can get ahead of it, guess what? You can prevent it. And if you prevent it, guess what? Mark isn't uh, calling your boss saying, yeah, you know, claims went too high last year. And we're going to have to increase your rates because if you take care of it ahead of time, you won't be filing those claims. So that's, that's just me going, I'm not a physician or healthcare provider, but it's just one of those things like get, get crystal clear on on where you are in your health life and obviously your ancestors as well, because it will give you some things to keep an eye out for
1: as you progress in age. Michael, I think that was a, a, a very important public service announcement, actually. It's a call to action. I, I, I couldn't have said it any better myself. And I would just offer that my part in that conversation would be to say to the employer, um, we have a problem. Uh, here's the problem. And we can do something about it but that starts with making sure the foundation of of your employee benefits plan is focused on the people that you're insuring, right, and taking care of. Okay, what's their health status? Can we measure it? Not individually, that's for them to do, but look at it in the aggregate and then say, okay, what are some specific things that we can do to address uh, some of these behavioral things that pop up or just even awareness uh, that people have about that? And we make a strong linkage between people's health and their wealth you know, one of the things we're doing inside our Captivated Health community, which um, I can talk a little bit about, uh, we created a uh, a community of like-minded employers. These are actually, uh, we have two groups right now. We'll be expanding other industries, but right now we're working with uh, independent private schools. So boarding schools, day schools, uh, schools where you pay to have your kids go to high school to prepare themselves or kindergarten through high school. I mean, they're vary. There a variety of sizes, shapes, and forms of independent schools. But essentially, um, these like-minded schools have come together to individually take control of their healthcare future, but then also collectively share risk with one another, even though they're unrelated entities. Um, So without getting too geeky about it, the the principles of this community are really what every one of us would want any organization to pay attention to. The first one is an unrelenting focus on the member, right? We need to make sure that you and I as individuals are, uh, have access to the resources, the information and the support we need when we have a healthcare event. Because for being honest, Michael, I don't want to think about my healthcare. You don't want to think about it either. I want to wake up tomorrow and feel like I did today, but that's just not reality. Uh, you have to, you have to take uh, proactive measures with your health. So first thing is making sure everybody's got a primary care physician relationship. And working with independent primary care and direct primary care providers uh, you know more impen- independent, independently, rather, where they're not taking insurance as a form of payment, they're really you're, you're really their customer, as opposed to the health insurance company and that partnership they have. Um, but again making sure everybody's connected with primary care, because most primary care practices today are now integrating behavioral health care, and that's the other component. Uh, right now, we have an epidemic in this country uh, of mental health and behavioral health issues. And uh, specifically, it was already bad uh, before the pandemic. It, it's, it's cataclysmic now is what I would say. The data, I, I'm not overstating it. Uh, the information that we're seeing in, in, in our claims experience with the, with the clients that we work with uh, says that there's a significant problem, especially in the younger generation. Like I'm seeing claims in the 10 to 19 year old range that when you're 10 to 19, you know, you shouldn't be thinking about life and death. Um, You shouldn't be, uh, you know, so dismayed about your future that you have anxiety that's crippling. Uh, Those things are something that you shouldn't have to experience and it's happening. So first thing is an unrelenting focus on making sure the member has physical and and behavioral health. And then second is consumerism. You know, according to the Kaiser Family Foundation, we have a literacy rate, a healthcare literacy rate in this country of 14%. That's just not okay. How, How do we Have people behave like a consumer if they don't even understand the language to have a conversation. So that's what we do is focus on how can we help you understand the language of healthcare, understand that there's an inverse correlation between quality and price. And everyone's like, Mark, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you know, if you think about anything else in life where you see the price and quality before you make a buying decision, you can actually see it, you can measure it, and you can improve it. In healthcare, The contracting up till now, now the laws that are in place is going to start changing transparency laws, but, um, that those conversations are never, um, illuminated for you. And therefore you don't know when you access healthcare, you don't know what the quality is that you're getting. You're relying on somebody to tell you, Hey, Michael, I think this doctor is really good. Or you go to Google and you say, well, Google says the person's good, right? And then you go look, you ask for price. You ever ask your doctor how much this is going to cost? They don't know. They're like, I have no idea. It depends who you're insured by. I'm like, wait a minute. How can that make any sense? Well, Michael has a blue card and I have a red card. Sorry, Mark, but we're getting the same thing today. Sorry, Mark, but you're going to pay 500 and Michael's only going to pay 100. Why? Because of the contract that he has negotiated with the blue card he's carrying versus the red card. I mean, what? And I don't know about that until after I make a buying decision. So... The next thing is making sure you understand this inverse correlation that exists and then using the power of a health savings account to set aside money that your employer puts in the account for you. You put money in the account and you help fund your a portion of your retiree medical expenses. So that's the health wealth connection I was talking about. Culture of health and well-being I talked about already, but that's really five elements. It's physical, financial, workplace, community and mind and spirit. And it's those five elements that are really critical to building a culture of consumerism, health, and well-being in your employee population, right? So they're trying to do the same things you are. They want to get high-quality care. No one asks, hey, Michael, can you find me the cheapest doctor to go to? I don't feel well. Like, what? No. You say, can I have the best doctor for the lowest price? Okay. And then finally, and and I'll just end my part of this part, part of our conversation, the fourth principle is governance, right? Everybody wants control over their own future. So the way we set this up with our clients and we collaborated to create the community, there's a set of bylaws. Every organization has an equal vote, no matter their size. We followed the Senate, uh, the United States Senate, right? So every school, every engineering firm, those are the two spaces we're in right now. I have an equal say in the, what happens in the community. And as a result of them all working together, right, right? Through the governance structure, we've helped these organizations. These are small, between 50 and 500 employees over the last seven years, put away $25 million in their collective bank accounts that would have been in the insurance company's bank account. And instead of being, and I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not uh, demonizing health insurance companies. Uh, there are a lot of great people that work at, at health insurance companies, but the construct they live in doesn't serve the people who really need the help, which is the member and that's what we've done through this community we set up. I love the work you're doing and I
0: agree with you the you know especially the 10 to 19 year old situation. You know I remember that time frame in my life and sure I was You know, thinking about the future somewhat, but it was very short term in nature. And now, you know, that generation, and of course the generation, you know, that was before them that are in their 20s and maybe early 30s, you know, they're looking at the inability to buy a home, for example, because home prices shot up across the US, you know, about 16% last year and, you know, close to 30% since 2019 it's there's all and there's all kinds of factors that tie into that supply that's chain why they're living at home. yeah that's why they're living at home and they're and they're frustrated they're angry you know, They see that their parents were able to afford a home at a certain age. It's like, well, a different time frame, but different circumstances and a lot of other things. And then, of course, the onslaught of social media and the comparison of, well, I have this. Well, then all of a sudden, it's like, well, I don't have that. And all of a sudden, you start beating yourself up on it. And okay, let's toss in a pandemic where... You know, I agree with you, and I know the numbers that you're seeing and the claims are proving it. My deepest concern, and I, again, working with people and organizations that burn out, I saw it long before this pandemic. But my concern is the post-traumatic stress of this pandemic is going to last longer than the pandemic has, and that's going to be resulted in you know the claims that you're going to see, and, it, it, and if organizations and individuals don't seek out to get the help that they need. And that's the biggest thing. A lot of people don't, and many of them don't, because they don't know they can. They don't, they're well, not aware
1: of To your point, they don't know they can, and the way that most people, most organizations buy their insurance is they transfer all the responsibility to the insurance carrier in exchange for a premium that's guaranteed for 12 months because they don't want risk. But the reality is they're transferring away a lot and probably 60 to 70% of the risk they should be taking on themselves. And instead, they're allowing the convenience of the carrier doing all of that and then getting what I call the less bad renewal every year, which basically is, okay, your broker tells you 12%. They beat the insurance company up down to nine. You're like, okay, I budgeted 12. I'm at nine. Budget works great. But at the end of the day, 9% still three times the rate of inflation. It's you know long-term inflation, not now. Um, and so that's not sustainable. That that's just a margin eating exercise. So by taking control and understanding, we are if we self insure. That's what I'm talking about. Being partially self insured, and we use reinsurance to protect us our limit of liability in any one person, and then our limit of liability on all our people. Yeah, there's risk in that, but I also know what my worst case scenario is. And importantly, I actually can help my people get in the areas where they have the ability to be a consumer. So think about, you know, x-rays, lab work, MRIs, CAT scans, you know, where you go get your, your care for elective surgeries, right? Not life-threatening things. The variation in price, you can save a boatload of money. So let me give you a couple examples. Um, in Boston, an MRI, and I won't name a facility, but a downtown Boston hospital for a low back MRI is roughly 4,000 bucks. You can go to a freestanding outpatient facility, which is in the suburbs, closer to where you live, with the, um, the exact same machine administered by a person with a different level of education for, I'm sorry, the same level of education for 500 bucks. Now, if somebody knew that, right, and they had a service help them get to that, why wouldn't they take advantage of it? And then their employer gives them a reward in their health savings account and says, Michael, You looked at quality, you looked at price, so we're going to drop 200 bucks in your health savings account for doing that. You are? Why? Because you're being price and quality conscious. Oh, so now instead of $4,000 and maxing out my deductible and spending all that money on one MRI, I actually will only spend $500, and actually net, it's $300 because I'm getting $200 from my employer. That's right. Why wouldn't I do this, Michael? I don't know. Remember, the first principle is members first. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. Medication. Most people don't know that many of our medications, chronic meds, are made in Tier 1 English-speaking countries. Canada, Ireland, UK, Australia, South Africa, New Zealand. And by the time they come over here through the many gates that our FDA puts up, they're seven to eight times more expensive than they should be. Real-life drug example. Tecfidera is a drug used to treat multiple sclerosis it's made in Ireland. The annual supply over there is $17,000. If you look at the annual supply over in this country for that medication with a brand name uh, drugstore, I won't won't criticize any of the drugstores, but if you look at the drugstore price, it's $69,000. Well, what if a member could import that medication clinically coordinated with a doctor and a pharmacist, but could import that without the U.S. drugstore label on it, but it has the manufacturer's label on it? And they could pay $17,000 for that drug. And the employer says, well, we want you to take the medication. Um, and if you do this, um, and it's all clinically coordinated, we'll sh- you know, share the process with you. You have to do it. We can't do it for you because that's not allowed by law. But if you want to be a consumer and have that mail order to you, you, there is an FDA provision that allows you to do that. Oh, and if you do that, we're going to waive your financial share because... That way you can get your medicine, doesn't wipe out your HSA, your deductible. And it's preventive, right? So we're, we want you to take the medication so you don't have a worse healthcare situation. And then we're going to um, do that because it saves the company money. Wait, so I get my drug, I don't pay anything for it, and the company saves money. Yes, Michael. Why wouldn't I do this? I don't know. Maybe you like the brand name label on it here in the United States. That's okay. Your plan's set up to do that. That's fine. It's your choice. The point is, I'm giving you, and I could give you lots of stories, that there is this price variation in healthcare. The unit cost is the evil doer of the rise in healthcare costs. It makes no sense to me that the exact, or you, I'm sure, that the exact same service in the exact same location with the exact same outcome, there's a tenfold variation in the price. Some guy's paying a thousand and you're paying a hundred bucks. Like what? Because of the contract negotiated, which you don't even know about. Not okay.
0: And that's the thing, you know, healthcare, you know, we always talk about cost and it gets to be a political issue that gets talked about a little bit, but not to the degree it needs to. But again, taking the power back into our own hands as an organization and as consumers, employees, you need to take some ownership on your health. You can't just delegate it up to your bosses to say, provide me healthcare coverage. That's great but you need to make sure you take care of your health first. And if you do preventative stuff and saving your organization money, um, they can you know return it and you know beef up your health savings account. And then you can start doing some things. And it ends up being, and I look at it this way because I've participated in those before in the past too. It, you, you get to look at it and you, you get to manage your health and say, okay, what do I want to do this year? It's like, oh, you know what? I want to use some of My HSA dollars for teeth whitening or something you know, along those lines, you know, and, and it's one of those things where it's like, I've got the money in the account. Why don't I use it? And if you're in the old system, basically, quote unquote, you don't have that type of option and you get it. And the insurance company says, well, we're not going to cover that. So you're paying whatever you pay for teeth whitening. And you're like, okay, now I'm out of pocket. And that of course takes away funds from the other things in life you want to do. So again, everybody has to come to the table on this and working with organizations like yours really helps, them be able to do
1: that. I appreciate you saying that. And that's what we're passionate about: is how do we make healthcare and benefits easier and more affordable for people? We authored a book called "Bend the Healthcare Trend." For any employer listening that would like to, you know, understand how to build a culture of consumerism, health, and well-being, it's ten chapters, hundred twenty-five pages. Not, you know, I wouldn't say it's riveting reading, but it's ed- it's practical guide uh, written to help people understand uh, how this transforms. Uh, the culture uh, of health and well-being within your organization. Uh, each chapter has theory and then a case study from an actual client uh, where we apply the theory. So it's, it's very instructional. And then it gives people a roadmap uh, to ultimately determine in their own environment, you know, how do we go about doing this and setting this up for the long term? When you align everybody's incentives from the employee and member, right? So the employee and their family members up through the executive office, up through the board, of any organization and, and your stakeholders who are the partners are on the same side of the fence you're on. You can do amazing things. We have clients, CFOs that call. I had a CFO that called me last year. He said, Mark, I just had my auditors in. And he goes, um, they told me I'm over reserved for my healthcare. You know, what my future claims are going to be. And he goes, I had to spend some of the money in my bank account. And I, I asked him to repeat that. <laughs> can you have a, can you say that again? So he said it again. He goes, um, seriously, Mark, I need help. Where can I spend this money? And I'm like, well, John, you could uh, offer more money in, in the health savings account for your people. He's like, no, we did that two years ago. I'm like, all right, um, you could lower the, what you're taking out of people's paychecks. He goes, we've held it at zero. For four years in a row, so we're 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 funding that already. I'm like, okay, he goes, you're not really helping me here, Mark. I'm like, well, <laughs> I said we did a survey and we found out that your people want LASIK eye surgery. He goes, well, that's not covered by health insurance. I'm like, you're partially self-insured. That's a qualified medical expense. You can add that to your summary summary plan description, which governs your plan, and you can make that a benefit. I can. I'm like, yeah, 500 bucks an eye. That's a good benefit. He goes, wow, that way people can get more benefit. I'm like, well, that's the idea, John. So that's the kind of conversation we're having with our clients. Now, not every year. Is it like that? Some years there are challenging years. But the way we really want middle market companies to look at it is once every five or six years, you're going to have a bad claim here. But every other year, the sun is shining. And instead of letting the system keep your money, why don't you keep your money? employee, when you're healthy, you keep the money, right? Instead of just paying premiums and saying it goes up every year. And then when you have a bad year, guess what? You have the money saved in the bank account to pay for your bad year. Well, I don't know. I'm a CEO of my company and that's what we do because that's, that's just being financially responsible, but not taking away, right? The, what most employers are doing today they, they water down, they take more money out of people's paychecks, increasing the contribution every year. They increase deductibles to reduce the exposure they have and increase the exposure to their employees, or they run from insurance carrier to insurance carrier, running away from a rate increase. That is not a strategy. Getting, your, getting you to cross over and be your own insurance company, and then working with a firm like ours. Who can help you understand you can take control and you can get insightful information and you can do something about it as opposed to sitting there and waiting for that less bad renewal every year. Yeah, I see too many organizations
0: play that game where every couple of years they renew, they'll go with some carrier that offers a low ball rate. And then you know when it comes to renewal time, that renewal is higher than what they would have had if they would have stayed with the previous carrier. And then they leave that one. It's just an exercise that obviously doesn't really work in the long term. So Mark, I've loved this conversation, probably talked to you for hours about this, but uh, where can people find out more about you and all this awesome work
1: you're doing? Yeah, the best. Thank you. I appreciate that. I enjoyed the conversation and appreciate the opportunity to talk about a shared passion. Clearly you're passionate about healthcare too. So I've enjoyed it. Um, you can reach me at ww.boroslo, com. And my specific email is mark at borslow. So it's M-A-R-K at Boris. B-O-R-I-S-L-O-W dot com. And our community. I talked about is captivatedhealth.com so it's www.captivatedhealth the way it sounds uh, .com.
0: and I'll definitely have all that information in the show notes so Mark thank you again for your time. today. really appreciate you and the awesome work you're doing. Thanks Steve, appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the, the Breakfast, Breakfast Leadership, Leadership show. show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.